Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. listening to the official podcast of The Playlist on IndieWire. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and joining me on this episode to talk the state of horror movies are two contributors to the site, Drew Taylor and Corey Averett. We three are big fans of the genre, and so we dive into many concerns. Dream pick directors we'd love to see make a horror picture, things that could reinvigorate the genre, some directors to watch out for, and even more. But let's drop you into the podcast as I start things off with a quote from a recent playlist interview piece. Drew Taylor's recent interview uh, is from October 9th, and it has to do with the release of The Guest. And he interviewed the director, Adam Wingard, uh, for the film, along with his writer and I believe his producer, Simon Barrett. And uh, Drew asked the question, and he just he was kind of wondering about what these two thought about the state of horror movies these days, which is always a question I think that's worth asking. It's a lot of what we're doing on this podcast right now. And Drew kind of insinuated that, you know, the, the genre ha- seems to have a bit of a bad reputation. And, and Barrett and Wingard, you know, sort of uh, negated that. They, they didn't necessarily agree. And then Simon Barrett went on to make some salient points. Uh, and he said, horror has always been this ill-respected genre. 99% of the horror movies I see are terrible. So I can't really argue that horror isn't being taken seriously enough when every horror movie I see is extremely poor in quality. But I do know where the genre is right now. We got asked that question a lot more when Your Next was coming out. And then it felt a little easier because it felt like the found footage genre was winding down and the extreme horror that was kicked off by Saw and Hostel had also run its course. For us, we thought horror was going to be more like what we were doing with Your Next. Less postmodern, but more self-aware and fun. But it does seem like The Conjuring is the best example of where things are headed. I don't think that Hollywood studios missed the fact that they gave James Wan a real budget, some real actors, and he made the most successful R-rated horror films since The Exorcist. For the last few years, horror films have been incredibly low budget, and that's limited the degree to which they could be successful. With The Conjuring, it was modestly budgeted and a massive summer blockbuster. I hope that will result in more horror movies with artistry and production values. Of course, that could be just James Wan and nobody else will do that. I don't know where the genre is headed. The horror genre is always responding to our anxieties. And that's why the home invasion genre got very hot when the banks were talking, when when the banks were taking away people's homes. But as a fan, I'm excited to see where things are going. So uh, Drew, if you were able to, uh, you know, process all of what I just regurgitated, it was from your interview. I'm just, I'm just curious because, you know, you, you either left it out or did not add your response or maybe your thoughts in terms of that, that um, really eloquent statement by Simon Barrett. I'm just curious, you know, to kick things off, um, you know, your thoughts on the horror genre and specifically maybe as to what Simon Barrett was saying. Well, I mean, I hope that what he's saying is true. I think what's interesting is that he says this and then like a couple of weeks later, um, Annabelle, which is the very, was the very (laughs) cheap, you know, low budget spinoff of The Conjuring came out and made a whole bunch of money. 
But you look at things like Warner Brothers doing uh, the Overlook Hotel, which is the sort of, you know, very expensive Shining prequel that uh, Mark Romanek is going to do, and Legendary's uh, Crimson Peak, which is coming out next Halloween, which is sort of this grandiose kind of like, you know, operatic horror thing. Um, That hopefully that that is true, that that the studios will be spending money, but I just don't, I haven't seen it yet. So I am, am cautiously optimistic that that's where they're they're headed. Corey, uh, any of your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, other than Drew's examples, I I, I agree with uh, that part of the quote, which is basically that kind of as it's always been, you know, most of it is is shit, and then occasionally something breaks through. It it is uh, kind of an interesting time we're in right now. I guess especially if you weren't into the extreme horror of found footage, because those seem to have mostly wound down. Uh, and then, yeah, we're in kind of a different era of it seems to be like the insidious conjuring kind of spooky, you know, horror houses, possession type things uh, coming out. But I feel like there's a little bit more, a uh, little more to play around with in, in this, at least at least so far. Yeah. And it does seem to be like the success is still in that kind of story. I mean, Drew, you already referenced Annabelle was the number one film a couple weeks ago. And Ouija or Ouija. <laughs> was just bested a really legitimately good Keanu Reeves action movie for the number one spot this weekend. I mean, and that's a... I, I didn't see Ouija. Did, did either of you catch that film? No, no okay. but what, what that means is that people like horror movies, and they especially like uh, them in October. And I'm not sure why every studio isn't loading up all four or five weekends of October every year with you know, different offerings, because this year has been really starved. Besides, you know, those two that you mentioned, it was... You know, the big, big budget Dracula Untold, hardly a horror movie, but still a monster movie. And and on the mainstream releases, that's pretty much it. You know, maybe a few things snuck into art houses, uh, but that's it. And that's kind of a bummer for people who like horror movies and especially like to watch them, you know, at this time of year. Yeah, yeah, especially because I feel like there's a lot of things that people are, are the studios are just sort of sitting on. Um, this movie, It Follows, that uh, Radius has the rights to. That played, I guess it played Can, and um, I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and it's absolutely one of the best horror movies I've seen in the last few years. And and they're going to release it in March, which I just don't understand. Like, hmm. right? Or uh, the uh, the Babadook, which which played Sundance and, and has gotten great great buzz, is coming out in November, and it's like I, this happens kind of every year, and I'll never understand when they're going to get that people want to see these movies in October. I mean, you know, that's how. How how did the paranormal uh, franchise or the Saw franchise go on for so long? They put one out every fucking Halloween, and right. people went and saw them. You know, but they planted their flag. The Saw franchise, the Paranormal Activity franchise. They they were like, we are the we are the Halloween movie for every year until people don't want these movies anymore. And then you got to think like maybe it gets. I mean, the reality is it that market gets really crowded really fast in October. And then I guess the counter to that is The Conjuring was a summer blockbuster. It was that rare sort of most successful horror film, but also for me, like a really accomplished, well-made horror film. But I guess in terms of their financial success, I think it's always going to be up in the air because we can go to like your next. That came out the year, what was that, a couple years ago when your next came out? I think it was, it was last August. And it was kind of what you were referencing, Drew, where these studios are holding on to these films maybe for too long. And you're next for, I think it was for many sort of complex reasons, didn't get released right away. And it they weren't 
they didn't take advantage of the buzz that it, of that film off of its Toronto International uh, like midnight movie release or premiere, and people were going crazy for that Adam Wingard movie, and for ju- for you know good reason. It's a it's a really fun, good home invasion horror movie, but yet that one came out at the end of August. It was forgotten, and I believe The Purge did much better that year. And then there was another yeah. horror movie in the summer that did pretty well, as you know, did well too. But I always thought like, God, if they it was almost so arbitrary because it deserved the purge money, but it didn't get it. Well, but there was a, there was a pseudo kind of uh, mid-budget horror movie that came out this summer that didn't do anything, which was the Eric Bana movie, Deliver Us from Evil. Ah, uh, yes. Already forgot that? that. I mean, nobody remembers it, but it, that, that I think, almost had the same weekend that... Um, or that was, I think, July 4th weekend this year. You know, yeah. it, it, it went for that same kind of, like, conjuring thing. The, the marketing was very much keeping with the conjuring, and it just didn't connect, so... Word of mouth seems to still be alive and well with horror. Um, right. There's that, and then just, I guess, a really smart marketing hook. I mean, as lame as it was, in my opinion, that the Paranormal Activities sort of showed you the audience. You remember the, those early... Yeah. <laughs> They showed the audience freaking out, and it was like, uh, okay, I mean, I guess clever and a cheap marketing campaign that worked. Or The Conjuring just had this, The Conjuring had a, like almost a level of prestige to it that I think just translated for people when they saw the trailer. And the movie turned out to be good, and then it actually made like good, good money. It didn't just drop off after its first weekend. So we've all already, you know, made the case that the genre can be better, especially for. All of us, we we care about these movies. We even go to see the shitty ones over and over again, hoping for that gem like an It Follows or um, the other films we've talked about here to, to emerge. But is there anything you can think of, you know, that that's just preventing the genre from 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 I guess producing better movies consistently? There is that thing uh, that was again mentioned in the quote, but just like kind of horror. Horror has always been the the frowned upon stepsister where. You know, as soon as somebody makes their name with horror movies, most of the time they sort of want to branch out from that so they don't get labeled a horror filmmaker and that's all they can do. And I mean, even, you know, Simon Barrett, who you mentioned, did The Guest, which has, you know, some horror elements, but it's not a straight horror movie. It's a thriller. It's an action movie. And I think people don't want to be pegged as uh, horror filmmakers because they kind of won't get out of that box. I mean, that's why James Wan wanted to jump ship. Uh, and and do Fast and the Furious mm. just to show that he could do other types of movies and be taken more seriously than even if he does you know a great movie uh, like The Conjuring for its genre it's still sort of uh, looked down upon I think from from most people I think it's really unfair too because I mean is, is the uh, rate of success really any worse in the horror genre than it is in say the romantic comedy genre which is in that same interview piece with that Drew had with with Barrett and Wingard, they referenced that they'd like to make a rom com someday, and they want to make a war movie, you know. But like getting back to that, like, is it really any worse than like your average action movie that gets released, you know, an action program or a rom com, like the really the the most common age old like you know well worn genres all have a pretty low success rate until maybe you start bridging out into the other like realms of the art house, the independent world and the foreign releases, then maybe things get, get more interesting in, in all those genres. Anytime a, a sort of established filmmaker goes back to horror, mm. it even gets ignored. Like Barry Levinson did a really terrific uh, yeah. sort of found footage thing a couple of years ago called the Bay, which yeah. I thought was super scary and like very political and very fun. Um, 
And that was just completely ignored. Like, nobody saw that movie. And, you know, the same with Coppola doing Twixt, which was not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, but was certainly, <laughs> you know, an interesting sort of deviation. Um, mm. I would take it over five Tetros any day. Oh, know, come so. on, Drew. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to me that that there's such a such a stigma attached to the genre that even when like these established sort of you know very uh, prestigious directors return to it, n- nobody even cares. Like it's yeah. just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I still need to see the Bay because maybe I was I felt like at the time I was getting a little worn out with with the found footage genre, and I think that's clearly something that just happens and in, in horror maybe faster than anything else. Like every generation. Or every little trend, if you notice, seems to get smaller and the window gets shorter, shorter, and then it's on to a new thing. And that's just sort of the way everything is nowadays. But it's really evident in the horror genre because found footage has sort of waned, even though I saw a, a, a solid one this year, The Sacrament from Ty West. Uh, right. Yeah, a, a solid one. But I, I need to go back and see The Bay because, yeah, I always thought that was so interesting that Barry Levinson, of all people, like Oscar-winning director for Rain Man and all these, you know, sort of... Oscary melodramas and stuff like here he is he made a found footage horror movie um that looked intense and it's good to hear that that you liked it and twixt is something i also need to see but i i think i remember Corey turning me off to that film like years ago when it's a horrible movie but it's still worth watching (laughs) (laughs) if you really look at the like the the history of horror films pretty much all the best ones or the majority of the the ones that are agreed upon by most people to be the best, the classics, the sort of top tier of the genre were made by directors that either never did or after made a horror film, or you'd never would have imagined would have made a horror film. And my shining example is the most obvious one is like Stanley Kubrick made possibly the greatest horror film of all time in the shining. And you know, like that was great because he had his own weird little vision that he was going on with that. And he like commented on the genre, but also made it his own. And it's a Stanley Kubrick film. It just happens to be a, a Kubrick film in the horror genre. Yeah, The Shining is a big one. Uh, the Exorcist, William Friedkin coming off The French Connection uh, and and choosing to do a big horror movie like that. I mean, it's definitely not a coincidence. I mean, on the other side, you, you've always had, you know, kind of the up-and-comers uh, like Roman Polanski uh, with Rosemary's uh, Baby yes. or uh, Ridley Scott, you know, with Alien, these kind of guys who hadn't done a whole lot yet, you know, smaller movies and made their mark before moving on. But on the other side, yeah, what I think what would absolutely help uh, is is getting some top-tier filmmakers to decide they wanted to take this on. Corey Friedkin's a really good example, too, because then he comes back, not unlike Barry Levinson, and makes what I would say is probably a horror film more than any other genre in, in bug. It, it kind of came and went in terms of its theatrical and, you know, it's theatrical life. So it, that was another one that was released in like early May. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a strange time. Like nobody wants to watch a movie like bug when it's starting to get sunny and warm outside. So that, right. that's, that's weird. Corey, you had brought up a, a point earlier about how um, there are these directors that really like, they almost go out of their way now once they get some success in the horror genre to point out that this is not the only thing I want to do. And you're not seeing direct. um, Maybe they learned from directors like John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, like guys that kind of maybe also didn't only want to make horror movies. Wes Craven is another one, but sort of fell into it for the majority of their, um, their careers and just sort of became really stale and pretty, 
sad. I mean, Dario Argento might be the greatest example of a once great director who's become just a pale imitation of himself and yes. almost almost a parody of himself. You know, you look at Wingard and Simon Barrett, they're, they're very learned. They, they're, they know movies and they seem really smart about the their career steps that they're making. So I think that's really interesting. But then you look at directors like, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys listen to Brett Easton Ellis's podcast by any chance. Right. It's it's really good. It's really great. He's a great interviewer, and he had um, he's had Rob Zombie and Ty West and Alexander Aja on recently because Ellis is actually a really big fan of the horror genre, and all of the interviews are great. I recommend them all. But like Ty West and Rob Zombie, I think Aja as well. They all lay out pretty clearly that they're like almost desperately looking to do something different, and I think that does speak to the sort of. Um, not wanting to be pigeonholed, you know, it's a smart career move for them because I'm sure they want to do other stories, but also like maybe it all comes back to like, they're not going to get taken seriously, like really seriously and get serious budgets until they get out of a genre, they get into a genre that unfortunately more people will take seriously. And as unfair as that is, it is a reality, but it seems like these directors are doing what they need to do to make that work for them. Ty West is doing the Western right now with Mm -hmm. Ethan Hawke and uh, John Travolta and, uh, you know, uh, Aja is doing some kind of suspense thing that was originated by uh, Anthony Minghella, which is very oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, that Max Minghella brought to him while they were making horns. And, I mean, what's interesting about these guys is I feel like these guys are all interesting enough filmmakers that you would want to see whatever they have in store. You know, like, wouldn't you want to see, like, a Rob Zombie sci-fi movie or whatever? Uh-huh. You know, but it is, it's all about making that, that leap. And I guess making a, a movie as big as The Conjuring is really the only thing that kind of can get you out of the ghetto because isn't Zo- Rob Zombie is like crowdfunding his next movie. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, it's just kind of sad that they can't quite, they can't elevate, you know, out of that. Yeah. Uh, well, and then you see directors like Kevin Smith, who's like sort of, reappropriated his own career and now he's becoming a sort of grindhouse filmmaker and as interesting as i think this new stage in that guy's career is because at least it's something different you know uh yeah he wasn't exactly rewarded financially by putting out tusk not that that movie was ever gonna make much money i think the big mistake there was a24 released it in too many theaters like the fact the fact that i saw tusk in a multiplex a suburban multiplex outside of portland kind of told me everything I needed to know. It, I enjoyed that movie, but like, come on, it was never going to make money. And it's, um, I guess where Smith actually has the right angle for other filmmakers to take note is like, he's making these movies at a budget where he can do something really weird and out there. And, you know, frankly, a very stonery idea in Tusk, you know, like you can get away with that if the budgets are low and it's a relatively safe bet. So um, I think that's an example where Smith came out ahead, but uh, A24 kind of got fucked uh, by their decision. And can we can we pause for a minute to have at- Corey go off on his anti-test rant? Oh yes, uh, please, no. Corey. <clears throat> I'd rather not. The less said, the better. Uh, but but <laughs> you do bring up a good point about keeping budgets low and getting to do weird shit, which brings <laughs> us to Bloomhouse, who I love, despite mm. you know whatever mixed output they might have. The fact that they are running the studio the way they are, which is. Uh, Jason Blumhouse basically keeps the budgets under five million dollars and kind of sees what he comes back with. Some of it isn't even releasable theatrically, but then occasionally you'll get something that breaks through, like you know the first Paranormal Activity, uh, Insidious, The Purge, you know movies like that, which end up funding you know 
a hundred other small movies that he gets to make. And, you know, even if only one out of every dozen hits or ends up being any good, uh, I, I still really get behind what he's doing and think that well, I have it. I have issue with that. I mean, I love the guys at Blumhouse and, and I, uh, have talked to Jason before and they're a very interesting group, but, but then you have this like very weird recent thing where they've kind of like purged all these movies, not to, Pun not intended, but uh, <laughs> yeah, where they have sort of uh, uh, released movies by Joe Johnson, mm. uh, the guy that did the the uh, the Strangers put out a movie, uh, Joe oh, Carnahan, yeah, Brian uh, Bertino, right, who did the Brian Strangers. Brian Bertino's did- movie Mockingbird is really really good. Is it's it like really good? Yeah, nice um, because I actually like the Strangers. I'm a big defender yeah, of that movie. Yeah, this is this is even better than the Strangers. It's sort of like the found footage, like. Robert Altman horror movie. Like it's crazy. It's it's three three people are given a camera in 1995 and told that they must keep filming. And you don't know how these people are going to intersect and you don't know how they're connected and there are these really great sort of title cards throughout the movie. Um it's very experimental and fun and I can understand why it wasn't commercially released, but they seem like Joe Johnson and Joe Carnahan and uh, Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who did this uh, crazy Town That Dreaded Sundown remake, uh, Mark Duplass. Like, these are people who whose movies are just sort of dumping on VOD. It's so hard to even find where they are. So to me, it's like the conceit of Blumhouse is very sort of admirable, but the follow-through, you know, is is somewhat lacking. I mean, you know, we can talk about why that is and when the sort of Blumhouse, uh, you know, strategy gets involved. Uh, but you know, it, it seems like if they're unhappy with it, then they sort of shun it. Um, and they don't, if they don't think they're going to make the money back, but right. Why? Well, I mean, like, release strategy aside, say, it, at, least, at least the movies are getting made. They're getting made, but if nobody's seeing them, what's the point? Like, okay, $3 million and you can do whatever you want. That's great. But if it's if you're making them so hard for for people to find them, then then why like sort of hold up this kind of conceit in the first place? Right. Well, I mean, I think that's just the whole. That's not horror. That's the whole problem with indie movies in general these days. There's just so much shit you mm-hmm. almost can't. I mean, like I said, the difference between going to Sundance and seeing a movie and then having it quietly be dumped on VOD <laughs> later that summer in terms of you know noise and people talking about it is really. Right kind of staggering so that's just i think that's just a matter of how much product there is out there for people to sift through and if it's not something that's gonna have a commercial hook or really get people talking it's just gonna kind of quietly fall into the netflix instant pile with everything else yeah i mean i think you're spot on Corey. i mean in the end that's maybe to pat ourselves on the back. I mean, I I've been looking at this problem and it is a problem like the flooding of the market of there's just too much. There's too much stuff. And there's, I mean, we can safely assume it's only going to get to be more and more titles every year available that there's more of a need for curation and for actual critics who can point you towards what's worth seeing. And Drew, I'm like so glad to hear because I discovered Mockingbird today doing research for this podcast because I looked at my DVD shelf trying to get ideas of horror filmmakers I'm a fan of. I'm like, The Strangers. What the fuck ever happened to that guy? That movie was popular. It made money, and it's terrifying. It's a legitimately great 
I think, home invasion movie. And it's a tough watch. It's a tough sit. And here he has this movie called Mockingbird. And, you know, from the IMDb image, it looked like a real cheap, like straight to video, you know, straight to video isn't even really a fair pejorative anymore because good movies get released only on video still or nowadays. So still having said that, it looked like a schlocky piece of shit. And then I'm just glad to hear that. Like, where did you get to see Mockingbird, Drew? Was it at Fantastic well, Fest? No, I mean, I I saw I saw Tom the Dreaded Sundown at Fantastic Fest, but I was in a Walmart because somebody had told me that a quote of mine was on the box for <laughs> tomorrow. To the and Walmart. I, was like, I, have to, I have to see if this is true. So I'm in the DVD aisle, <laughs> and I see I see Mockingbird, Not Safe for Work, Stretch, and Mercy, which are four of the sort of dumped Blumhouse movies. Uh, and I was like, you know what? This one seems like the most interesting one. And I'd seen Stretch, um, and I loved it. So I took it home and watched it, and I was like, this is great. It's legitimately scary. It's funny. It's sort of avant-garde. And there's lit- I, th- I found, like, I think one review of it online. Like, that's how sort of dumped it was. Drew, um, do, you, do you have any insight into, like, why it took Brian Bertini that long to mount another movie because like the strangers well, was a success unless i'm misremembering it was a success this movie and uh i have a i have a friend who sort of uh was inside of blumhouse so i've got to be careful about what i can say as to not sort of give them up but there were a lot of problems in terms of how to end the movie mm. and i don't think they stuck the landing quite right like at, at one point it was decided that it could be a franchise like that's how 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 wildly the situation of these movies deviate in post-production. And so there was this ending, which was sort of could have suggested sort of a continuation. And especially in the wake of things like insidious, which are now, you know, we're looking at insidious three coming out next year. Like these are big franchises, you know, or quote unquote big franchises. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he'd been work- he'd been slaving away on this thing for a long time. I think it was for- completed in 2012. I mean, that's how wow how tortured this this thing was. And I actually found a good quote from uh, Carnahan mm. uh, in a great profile that my buddy uh, Matt Patches did for Grantland about his whole situation with Stretch. And he says that Blumhouse is an enlightened trauma. It's a factory as preoccupied with quantity over quality as any other studio. Their job is to make 10 of something, and if one of them meets the metric with an audience, that's the one that'll get the TLC. I understand that. If you shotgun enough paint cans, you're going to get a Picasso. <laughs> or you're going to get a Marge Simpson, if you know the Simpsons reference. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm bringing up. <laughs> when Homer makes the makeup gun. It didn't work out that well for, for Marge. Interesting. No. That That is so... Ah, that's fascinating to me. And it's like, so, that's, it's a, yeah, it's a shame because Bertino proved with his first movie that he can make a really good horror movie. That's yeah. And it was and successful. He just, got, oh. he just got attached to something pretty big too. So I think his career is still like not done, but oh, okay. It's more baffling with something like the town, town, the dread sundown, which you can, which is directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who directed all the best episodes of American horror story. He's got a very distinct mm-hmm. style. he, he creates something that is very esoteric and then the Blumhouse machine tries to wield it into something more commercial. They get to this sort of half and half version and then that version doesn't even get to theaters. So what you're left with on VOD is this kind of compromised vision of what the movie was supposed to be. And that's sort of a shame, uh, I feel. But- yeah, Drew, I remember reading your review of, of the Town That Dreaded Sundown remake and like, 
my like it was like a roller coaster of emotions because I was like, is this it? Is this like a great new horror movie? And then just like yeah. your disappointment kind of comes into the review, and I was like, oh man, like yeah. you conveyed so well like the potential for the movie that was squandered, and it's like yeah, oh. it, it, I sincerely believe that, that that could have been the next scream had it had they left it alone. But right, right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was under the impression that under a certain budget, they kind of let people do whatever they want. So it's definitely a bummer to hear that there's that much tampering going on. But as far as uh, what ends up making it through the herd, you know, for someone like me who maybe doesn't have time to sift through every horror movie that comes out, I still look forward to knowing if a Bloom, uh, Blumhouse movie gets a wide release. Uh, you know, 50% of the time it might be worth checking out. So, <laughs> Or it's just they, one of the Purge movies. Yeah. <laughs> right. Corey's quote on the poster 50% of the time it's pretty good it's 50% of the time because <laughs> I know because I know that's the best out of the, the, the most recent 10 it's not a bad yeah. batting average I guess So we've referenced a few directors that we think are like have proven and are capable of continuing to like push the genre forward to do interesting things to not just make product. And um, I'm curious if um, Corey, I'm going to go back to you, Corey, if, if you have a name maybe to start off with that you that you think right now is, is like a vital horror filmmaker that that's going to continue to do some interesting things that we should be paying attention to. Yeah, a few things come up right off the bat, I guess, two two of my favorite horror-ish movies in the past couple of years. Uh, Kill List, the Ben the Ben Wheatley movie, kind of a little bit unclassifiable. I think he's maybe moving on to some different stuff now. Uh, and then The Loved Ones, the Australian movie nice. uh, by Sean Byrne, which is almost veering into some uh, torture-y, extreme horror stuff, but has a lot of other cool stuff going on. So good. It's so got I like would... a John Hughes 80s vibe to it, but done as a torture porn almost. Yeah, and then there's just some really dark fucked up shit in it uh-huh. like just, just the scene when you figure out what the title means is, <laughs> is kind of the best uh but yeah. but as far as people who i would be most excited to see maybe take a crack at a horror movie that hasn't really done that yet um uh gareth evans uh of the raid obviously who did nice. the safe haven short from vhs2 which was yes. far and away the best thing in 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 any of those movies that i've seen Mm-hmm. Um, watching that 20 minutes makes you think, okay, this, this guy could do something pretty different and pretty awesome. So I, I would put him at the top of the list of people who've kind of dipped their toe in, but haven't made a feature yet here, here, man, safe Haven. That's another review of Drew's. I remember reading, he was like, this is the one that you see VHS two for. And I was like, yeah, ah. it, it lived up to that, man. It, it was, it was really, really great. But Drew, Drew, how about you? You got a, a filmmaker you'd like to champion b- besides the others? Yeah, you, I mean- you know, I, I this is a guy that had a lot of heat like a, a little while ago, and and I don't know why that kind of dissipated. But but uh, Greg McLean, who's an Australian filmmaker who yeah. made Wolf Creek, yeah. Um, what was the alligator movie he made? Rogue, which is that's a really cool movie. It's all right. Um, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, uh, but I thought Wolf Creek Two was super underrated. It came out earlier this year. It's got a great car chase. Uh, it sort of elevates that <laughs> character to sort of like Freddy levels of kind of like, I don't know, kind of almost horror comedy level uh, character. And he's got, interestingly enough, a movie with, with uh, Blumhouse coming out next year mm. called Six Miranda Drive, 
that I would love to see. You know, I would love to see him sort of embraced and given a budget and stuff like that. Um, there was also a movie that came out at South by Southwest that I was really crazy about this year called uh, Creep. That was directed by a guy named Patrick Bryce, who uh, uh, this is gonna this is another Blumhouse thing that's gonna end up being a trilogy for for uh, Miramax's Radius imprint, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's found footage, but it's almost like it's like what about Bob meets Fatal Attraction or something? It's like <laughs> a stalker comedy, I want to say. Um, and then uh, of course I got to give it up again for David Robert Mitchell who did It Follows, which I think um, it, it's great. It's like if the Breakfast Club decided to to go against some kind of supernatural evil. That's what <laughs> It Follows is. Um, very nice. Yeah, I mean all, all three of these guys I think are are very capable and are pushing the the genre into some new places. And I hope that Alfonso Gomez Rejon gets to do another another horror movie on his terms. Uh, Sooner rather than later, I hope. Right. But we right. shall see. Well, David Robert Mitchell, too, is another example of a director, at least from his, you know, limited filmography so far. It was uh, atypical of him to make a horror movie because what was his film right. before that? The Myth of the American Sleepover? The Myth Sleepover? of the American Sleepover, yeah. Right, right. So that sounds exciting. Sounds like he was able to breathe some life into the genre. I think I think there's a yes. lot of evidence there for that, for sure. Um, well, great. Um, Drew, is there anybody that you... Can just just a dream, yeah. Because uh, Corey already cited Gareth Evans, just a filmmaker that would be like, this guy has to make a horror movie that really hasn't made one yet. Well, I mean, I still want to see a Mark Romanek, yes, horror. Movie. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if if the if the Overlook goes through, I think that it, he could be sort of the only one that could kind of uh, hope to even approximate the kind of chilly artiness that, that Kubrick, uh, was able to maintain because he was attached for a very long time to the Wolfman. Right. If we all remember that saga. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he was kicked off sort of over budget issues and Joe Johnson was brought in and made a very anonymous, uh, Wolfman movie. But (laughs) I I I liked a lot of, that movie actually i mean uh, the father stuff at the end aside i thought the the atmosphere was really cool and the period setting and all the stuff that wasn't overly cg'd i don't know i i I had some stuff i liked about it yeah i mean that's not a bad movie but it's not it's not it's too it's not it's not not romantic's version which would have been definitely something interesting right johnson's version is serviceable whereas romantic's would have been at least interesting. It might've been a greater failure, but I bet it would have been a hell of a lot more interesting to chew on for sure. Yeah. And I bet that he would have been able to build suspense in ways that you look at the Johnson version and you're like, well, this is just a huge missed opportunity here. (laughs) Um, Like the attack on the like gypsy camp. Like there's so many elements that could have been implemented that he just sort of ignores. Um, So, I mean, you look at one hour photo and I think that's a really creepy sort of underrated movie. And to see him apply that to a huge um, studio horror movie will be super exciting. If it goes through, God knows what's going to happen. But yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed that Romana gets just more movies made because God, two movies movies is not enough for that guy at all. Um uh, okay, so I I have a I actually have a kind of a long list of directors that would be dream projects. So I'm going to not la- name them all. Uh, I want to name them all. Go. Uh, okay, I, I might just do it. Um, but one of which is supposedly making a straight up horror movie for his next one, and it's 
my boy, Nicholas Wending Refn, who I can't speak highly of enough. Uh, he's one of my favorite filmmakers working today. And if I'm right, the Carrie Mulligan, I believe, is starring, I think she's still in it, I Walk With The Dead, is supposed to be like a horror film. Am I right? Yes. Okay. That, that, and, and it's supposed to be next. So yeah, right, I think, right. I think your wish is going to come true. I know. And I seriously, I can't wait. Because the guy, if, if, if you've seen even half or if you've seen all of his films, like they all have elements of like exploitation and like genre scores, like horror, horror, like synthy scores to him. I mean, fricking pusher two has a, has a, like a, a synth score straight out of like maniac, you know, but it's a right. gangster movie, you know? So he, and his favorite movie is Texas chainsaw massacre. So I think the guy is born to make a horror film and I hope he really straight up just makes one with, I walk with the dead and I'm sure it'll be his weird version of that, which is, that's what I want. So hope that happens. Um, man, if David Fincher ever made a horror movie, he would get the budget. Nobody else could really get. That would be really exciting. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, anybody? I don't know. It'd be cool. Corey, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. Your favorite filmmaker ever? No, no thoughts on that. No, I mean, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying, which is basically, if you, if you were to ask the question, who would you most want to direct a horror movie today? I would just take a look at the top directors working today, and I <laughs> yeah. would like them all to take a stab at whatever their horror movie would be. I mean, because I think that's how you get Kubrick doing The Shining or Friedkin doing The Exorcist. You get somebody who's at the top of his game, and maybe it would take you know, an advocate at a studio basically going to these guys and going, hey, do you have any interest in, in working in this genre? We'll kind of let you do what you want to do. Um, but a few years ago when they were talking about doing a Spike Jones horror movie or mm. obviously the two that you mentioned, Martin Scorsese, I mean, uh, uh, Tarantino doing a straight horror movie, pretty much anybody um, that you would consider, you know, a top tier director today. I would, I would love to see take a stab at it. I mean, hasn't Quaran talked about doing a horror oh, movie? Oh, man. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, he's, I think he's talked about that recently. That would be, so. that, that would be uh, great. I mean, the Coen brothers would be amazing. And yep. maybe a little bit left of center or maybe not as well-known directors that I'd love to see is um, Jeremy Saulnier, the guy that made Blue Ruin. I think he'd make a great low-budget horror movie for sure. Yeah. Um, Why is he? Yeah, he, he very well might. I, I heard him talk a lot about horror movies when Blue Ruin came out, so I could see it. Oh, you know um, what? Speaking of Blue Ruin, that's another guy we should give a shout-out to is uh, Jim Mickle. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. That did, uh, the guy that did Cold in July. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. he's great. Like, he did the We Are What We Are remake. Yep. And he yep. did a movie called Stakeland a couple years ago. He's really he's really good. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you guys saw Cold in July. It's really terrific. Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw that. I wasn't crazy about Stakeland, but I, I still do want to see uh, We Are What We Are. Oh, man, I think it's the rare, it's an improvement over the original. And I like the Mexican film a lot, but I actually think his film is is ballsier. It's more interesting. I, right? I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, yeah, good good call there, Drew. Um, all right, last few, I'm just going to just wheel off. I mean, Gaspar Noé kind of has made a horror movie, but why not give us another one? Um uh, let's see. Brett Easton Ellis. I hope he makes a horror movie. He talks about it. Um, if any of you guys have had the chance to see this Argentine film, Wild Tales, either of you? I, you know what? Somebody was telling me about this, that yeah. this, uh, that it's like supposed to be amazing, right? It, it is dude. Uh, uh, Oliver Littleton wrote the review on the playlist and I know Rod Rodrigo Perez has seen it. 
Um, I want to say at Toronto or Telluride, maybe. Um, Rod liked it more than Ollie, if I remember right. I don't need to put words in their mouth, but I loved this film. And there are no, it's a, it's a short story collection as a feature. And there are no straight up horror segments, but you get a quick idea that for one, this director, Damien Chiffron, I think is his name. He's extremely talented and he could pull off a kick-ass horror movie. Like I guarantee if he, if he does it, it'll be something to watch. Um, so that's one, um, Yorgos Lanthimos, the Greek filmmaker who made Dogtooth and Alps. I think he'd make a really weird, like transgressive. Oh, yeah, <laughs> dude. I want to see his horror movie. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, some more atypical ones like, uh, Andrew Dominic, you know, who made killing them softly. He made assassination of Jesse James. I think if that guy made a horror film, and from what I have read about his Marilyn Monroe biopic, which I believe is his next film, that sounds like it might take on a sort of Black Swan-esque like psychological horror. Um, I don't know if that's going to remain in the final product. But read, I remember reading that and thinking, ooh, yeah, like I would love, love to see what that's all about. And you know what? That would be a great way of getting him back in the kind of like commercial good graces. I know. He, he puts Brad Pitt in his movies and nobody goes to see him. It's like, it's, it's a shame, man. It's really a shame. Yeah. Um, the last few, uh, David Michaud, director of the Rover and Animal Kingdom. I think he'd made he'd make an awesome like arty Australian horror movie that would be like that could harken back to the '70s wave of uh, the sort of not quite Hollywood wave of Aussie horror movies. He'd make his sort of elevated like beautiful version of a horror film. I'd love to see that. Um, and then the last two are really I think really bizarre choices, but if if it happened, it'd be amazing. Um, Carlos Regadas, a Mexican filmmaker, he made a movie called Post Tenebrae Lux and Silent Light. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen his work at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super. Oh my God. It'd be, I mean, Post Tenebrae Lux has elements. I mean, there's a quasi devil. It's a devil character. It's not quasi. There's a devil character in that film. I mean, if he made that into a feature, it could be really interesting. And then uh, my other. My other um, arty, slow cinema purveyor um, would be the Russian master, I'd say, Andrei Zivyaginstov. He's got a film called Leviathan coming out. Uh, I think it's going to get a brief uh, December like awards run, and then it'll come out in 2015. This guy, um, Drew or Corey, have you seen any of his films? Like Elena? No, or the, or the, uh, no. Corey? Oh, you guys, seriously, The Return and Elena are streaming on Netflix. If, do yourself a favor and watch them. They're not... They're not like typical art house, slow cinema. It's not like he's the Turkish guy, Nuri Bilge Ceylon, but he kind of traffics in the same sort of film. But what he does is he reappropriates genre movies and like noir tropes, but does it in that sort of slow cinema milieu that's like very prevalent in European cinema right now. So he's, he's a genius. I think he's brilliant. And um, Leviathan is fantastic, but if that guy made a horror film, oh my god! Like, look out! It'd be, it'd be, it'd be awesome. I bet. So, uh, yeah, that's my that's my long list, my dream list, and I'm sure there's people I didn't even think of that that would be so exciting to have. But um, just just before we move on to another sort of segue into another topic, I did want to say the the director I think people should be watching that's currently making horror films that just nobody really knows about is a Belgian filmmaker named Fabrice Duwalt. And I recently wrote a review on the playlist for his new film, Alleluia. And I think, Drew, maybe you've seen this. Is that true? Yeah, I haven't. What, what is it? Okay, Alleluia. It was the big film at Fantastic Fest. That's why I assumed you might have seen it. It Well, big in air quotes, I guess. Like It won several awards at the festival, so it was highlighted. Alleluia is 
a Belgian take on the Honeymoon Killers, that that actual that movie, which was the first adaptation of that. Um, I, I can't remember the the Killers on the Run. That there there were real people, um, right? A couple on the run that just left a wake of bodies, um, or left a bunch of bodies in their wake. Uh, that was the Honeymoon Killers in the sixties. There's another take on it from I think the nineties, but this is his version. And Fabrice Duels made the uh, Calvaire, uh, the Ordeal, which is a really great Belgian horror film that sort of got lumped into the French New Extreme. Um, very good horror film, very funny, very bizarrely funny movie. And then he made this other movie, Vignon, which stars um, uh, Rufus Sewell from Dark City. And oh shit, what what's the actress's name from the the first Mission Impossible? Sorry guys to put you on the spot. Oh, Emmanuel, whatever her name is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah there you go. Close enough. She's in it. They're a couple, and it's um, Vinyan was like the Impossible that you know the tidal wave movie, you know the Thailand, yes. the Prestige movie or whatever. It was that like three or four years before the Impossible, but it doesn't have any of the effects of it's it's everything that happens after the wave. And it's this couple basically going on a heart of darkness level uh, trip of Matt, like losing their mind up a river, trying to find their son that for, for almost guaranteed died during the, the tidal wave. But there she's convinced that he's out there and things do not end well in that movie for those characters. But um, so, yeah, Fabrice Duels, I think he's really brilliant. I think Alleluia is not his best film, but it's it's it belongs in the sort of late night weird transgressive horror movie slot where it's only really going to play well with a certain type of audience of people that are willing to really just like endure something that can be at times really like, um, shrill, (laughs) very shrill actually. But yeah, Alleluia is just, is, is nobody's making movies like that right now, I'd say. And I, I think he could do some really great stuff if he just would get some love from distributors in this, in the U S and just, just out there. But um, yeah, Fabrice Duell. So I'll, I'll say his name again. He's one to watch out for, for sure. And You're now making I feel- Corey and I seem very unsophisticated. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, it's not the intention. I just, I was at a festival. I was up in Vancouver international film festival recently. And I just like, you know, I felt like I just downloaded all of these amazing movies into my brain that were, you know, from all over the place. So that that isn't I'm not trying to come off as pretentious, but I appreciate it if you're if you if I uh you know, you calling me out on it if I sound that way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think can like reinvigorate horror? Um like uh I'll I'll go to Corey first and for instance, an example I would use is Jonathan Glazer, the British filmmaker, who you would not think would make a horror movie for all intents and purposes, made one with under the skin uh, earlier this year. And I, it's one of my favorite films from this year. I think it's totally brilliant, totally freaky and just, just interesting as hell. But um, uh, am I on the right sort of angle, Corey, if I think that's where horror should go, like more atypical directors like that, more arty directors, or do you see another path to uh, breathe life into the genre? I think there's always been the the two extremes uh, in horror, which is, you know, some of the best horror movies come out of nowhere, out of no budget, low budget, Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, you know, independently financed Halloween, you know, things like this. And on the other side, you do have the kind of prestige, big budget, visionary director, exorcist, alien, uh, you know, what have you. I think the the indie horror scene is is as alive and well as it ever has been right now, and there's a you know a lot of good stuff and interesting stuff coming out. But I would like to see, like I said, I my dream would be that more you know A level filmmakers would would step up to the plate and take a crack at doing a horror movie. You know, the, like uh, 
Darren Aronofsky with Black Swan, you know, one nice. that, that that can still still bend the rules of the genre, but but to a certain extent, it still has to play by the rules. I think when when you get too far off track, it does become kind of an art film and less of a movie that satisfies traditional you know horror genre you know boundaries. And that's I mean that's great because it's a different sort of movie. And Under the Skin is a really interesting movie but it's not quite what i look for you know in october when i'm going to pop something in that that when i want to watch a horror movie so i you know i i kind of wish that you know like you said whether it's paul thomas anderson or, or whoever else that one of these mid-budget filmmakers um mm. you know someone at a studio would say hey instead of you know signing up for a superhero franchise we'll we'll you know we'll give you a decent budget if you have any ideas to make a horror movie and and see you know kind of what comes out of that well, you know, uh, one thing that we haven't touched upon and uh, we should probably before we go is that, you know, horror, the best horror movies come usually at a time when things are really screwed up sort of politically. And I think we're certainly in that same, you know, time now. Oh, so I, you know, I would I would say that, that I'm anticipating the horror movie that preys on sort of all of these fears about you know, the environment and surveillance and things like that. Like, it, it just does not make any sense to me that we haven't had, like, the great horror movie that that uses social media as sort of a linchpin. Like, why hasn't there been, like, a Facebook horror movie yet? It just doesn't make any sense. You know, you look at the movies from the 70s, and there were there were horror movies that, that you know, tackled all sorts of issues, Um and anxieties, um, sort of culturally. So that's sort of like, that's like what I'm waiting for. You know, it'll be interesting to see with Crimson Peak and the, um, Universal's plan for these interlocking monster movies mm, Yeah, to see where, see if that is going to bring about like some kind of high budget horror movies, because then, you know, you look at the insidiouses and the, you know, and the conjuring is now a whole franchise and, and you know James Wan is going to be essentially running uh, the genre of division of New Line. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if that'll go through. But but I'm really I'm waiting for the movie that really taps into the zeitgeist because a lot of the most successful horror movies, whether it's It, it Follows or The Guest or Cold in July, are seemingly you know throwback movies. They have kind of a vibe of the the Carpenter Golden Era. So. You know, it would be nice to even see even the Conjuring like is very much like a seventies Amityville yep. horror exorcist. Oh yeah, thing. totally. Yeah, yeah. We're in a um, state of like looking back right now. Like all the all the good ones, or a lot of the good ones, seem to be period pieces. But maybe we need more attempts at like the Bay, the the Barry Levinson film you referenced, Drew. Like more, maybe that's right. more more what you're hungry for. Yeah, I mean, I just want. I think that those are the movies that really get you know get into the bloodstream, you know, and. Certainly, the you know the part of the reason why Saw and Hostel did so well is that it was all of these sort of anxieties about you know Guantanamo Bay and what we were doing in Iraq and the kind of you know especially with Hostels too this kind of like xenophobia that was being perpetuated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt new. So. It, did, it didn't feel like a throwback that was very much you know tying into Poltergeist or Exorcist or whatever else. It, you know, it, it Saw at the very least was kind of its own uh, its own new thing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's sort of what I'm waiting for is whatever whatever can sort of tap into to our you know cultural unease um, and uh, be really exciting too.
we have a horror feature running on the playlist uh, soon, sometime this week. Um, that yeah. we, yeah, we're going to be listing our twenty-five favorite horror movies uh, as a site from the two thousands and on. And I don't know about you, Drew and Corey, you either, but there's a lot of movies that got left off that list that I think deserve some love. But maybe there's one, yes. Cor- yeah, maybe there's one from you, Corey, that you think people should really seek out that you you think is great and that is worth, you know, that that isn't on that list. Uh, probably the two I mentioned earlier, a kill list and the loved ones, I think were two of the most recent ones that kind Very of flew nice. a little bit under the radar and really stuck with me after I saw them. Very nice. Uh, Drew, how about you? Yeah. I mean, one, one that I was sort of pushing for that I knew would never make the list uh, <laughs> in good taste was, um, was Piranha 3d, yeah. um, which Aja. I thought was, yeah, Aja, who's a genius, and I thought uh, was very much a kind of um, precursor to Spring Breakers and its yep. uh, sort of attack on uh, sort of American <laughs> culture and excess. And um, one that did make the list, which I'm very happy to report, is the Frank Darabont, um, Stephen King adaptation, The Mist, mm. which I think is a terrific monster movie. It has one of the best horror movie endings ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad that that made it. Do you prefer Drew the uh, black and white sort of throwback version? I don't know. I like I like monsters so much, and I like seeing so much of them. That I kind of like seeing them in, in color, but that's just my that's my my bias. But very, yeah, very nice. uh, yes. The one I'll leave people with is uh, two films as well that both did not make the list. Uh, we this list has no representatives from a very important sub genre, or I had already referenced it. The French. The French New Extremism. We didn't. We didn't. Weren't, none of those films will be on this this feature. So I have to cite my favorite, which is Inside, which is about as simple and s- stripped down a home invasion movie as you can get, and it might very well be the most upsetting, violent movie I've ever seen. At least for its first seventy minutes. Actually, I love I love the whole film. It goes batshit insane near the end, and things don't make sense necessarily in Inside. But I would uh, I would double underline that pick. I love that movie. It never really got much of a U.S. release, and if you watch it, you'll know why in about the first twenty minutes. Right. Uh, you'll it'll be very clear why it did not get a, a, a release in American theaters. However, it is fucking great, and it's so intense. Um, my favorite horror movie, though, of this decade of the 2000s, which was also left off this list, is Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects. Um, and that was, I put that on the list. I thank, let, yes. Let, yes. The Devil's Rejects is just, it's proof that Rob Zombie is capable of making, like, it's a great film, I think. And it's more yes. than just a horror film. It is a, it is a throwback in a way like what we've talked about. It's, it's modeled after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it's look and feel, but also it's a, it's a killers on the run movie. And I just love the way he completely, subverts and just realigns your empathy, sympathy, and focus to the villains of the first movie, House of a Thousand Corpses, and then turns them into the, I mean, heroes is wrong, but anti-heroes, I guess, is fair. You know, like, right. yeah. He, he, he shows you that the, the the law enforcement can be just as horrible as the group of deranged sociopathic killers. Exactly. Right. And, and torture is a very key element in, in showcasing that in the film. And I think, uh, even though the film is set in the seventies and it is a throwback style movie, it did at the time it was commenting on the present and it had very salient. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those films that you long for more of drew. So I can see why, why you also are a fan. And, 
Um, it's a shame that it didn't make that list. I begged our feature editors to let to let me write about it, and uh, I never got a response. So I, I I'm sure I know why. They've got other things to worry about, and we need to move on. So well, that's what I was going to ask you if you if you've seen any of the subsequent movies by the Inside guys. I have not because they have one other or two other. They, well, they made a movie called Livid that was sort of this eerie kind of ballerina thing that, that the Weinstein's bought the rights to, and then never put out because they were developing a remake that didn't happen. And at the same time, they had tasked those guys with, at one point, doing Halloween 3, talking about Rob Zombie. They were going to okay. follow him up. Um, but they have a new movie that just premiered at South By that is absolutely awful. That oh. I forget what it's called. It was really terrible. And they have a really shitty segment of ABCs of Horror, which opens this week. Um, oh, the the sequel? The sequel, yeah, which has some really good stuff and some really not good stuff. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Theirs is one of the low points of those twenty six shorts. Oh, that's too bad. You know, maybe yeah. maybe it's a Donnie Darko situation where like the director just they maybe they just made something great their first time out, and maybe they're just not great filmmakers. Who knows? But maybe they will recapture the the insanely glorious bloody bloody heights of Inside because goddamn, uh, that's such a great film. It is, and it's it's a movie that I think that it shows you why they they at least seemed like great film horror filmmakers, and this is something that Aja does very well too, is that they can build suspense, yes, just as well as throwing a lot of gore at you. Mm-hmm. Um, even there are even moments in Piranha Three D. I feel that that uh, that Aja really sort of you know he he turns those screws uh, really really well and. Um, yeah, because it can't just be all sort of throwing stuff at you. But exactly, and I I think that label was what was met with the French New Extreme. I mean, they had to find a way to like, you know, generically lump all these movies into a category, and they're all pretty disparate and weird. I mean, Catherine Brule made movies that fall into this. Uh, right. Uh, fucking uh, what's her name? Trouble Every Day. Uh, great French right. filmmaker. Ah, I can't think of her name. Anyway. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Interesting. Arty filmmakers had made movies that got lumped in this category, and it's like the, everybody kind of dismissed them as just yeah, gore, just fetishizing too much gore. But yeah, I, I agree. The best ones, the ones we've talked about, um, d- do more than just that. And, and right. there's a, there's a build to the gore, and when it hits, oh boy, is it effective. So. Well, that was sort of they were sort of the European equivalent of the quote unquote splat pack that we had yep. here, right? Mm-hmm. And one of those guys that should be making more movies too is Neil Marshall. I feel Agreed. like, yeah, um, we've seen with his uh, Game of Thrones episodes just how effective a filmmaker he can be, and it would be nice to see him doing something scary uh, again. Yeah, I, after after two you know battle episodes on Game of Thrones, which don't get me wrong, they were awesome, but like I want him to make like The Descent or something like that again. That would be right. Really cool. He was getting a three D horror movie with uh <laughs> called burst do you remember that oh, i don't but yeah it was gonna why be not right combustion. yeah it, I, it's a shame that that won't happen because i can only imagine what a uh collaboration with sam raimi called burst would would be like <laughs> in 3d yes the possibilities well, with with that, Drew, we're gonna we're gonna set this one aside. We're gonna put this episode to bed. It, uh, as I said uh, off air, it was a treat to finally get you on the podcast. It was so good to finally be on the podcast. I want to come <laughs> back. I want to come back for for more more madness. Good, good. You will, you will. So yeah, thank you, man. Um, 
Is there anything you'd like to point anybody towards on the site that you got coming soon besides that horror feature that you're a part well, of? With the horror feature, I have two two Aja things coming. For This might only be of interest to you, but uh, <laughs> we're going to run down his five uh, influences for horns, which some are going to be very, uh, very funny and weird sort of things. And then I'm sort of just wrapping up sort of things that he's got in development. Um, that he's talked about over the years, like Space Cobra and Pet Cemetery, and his upcoming um, movie at Fox called The Pyramid. So look for those two things uh, in the latter half of the week. Awesome. Can't wait yeah. to read it. it. It appears as though we lost Corey in the last 10 minutes of the episode. Hopefully um, not by a axe-wielding madman. <laughs> right. I mean, if someone's invading his home right now, I, yeah. you're, you're closer to him than me, but you're in another state altogether, it's, Drew. So. I am. This I'll is on you, man. Check on him, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Corey, we hope you are alive, not being stalked. Oh, dear. There he is. Hold on. Hello? Yeah, Corey, you're back. What's happening? <laughs> are you going to Shake Shack? What is he doing? <laughs> I, am, I am on the subway right now going to movie trivia in videology in Williamsburg. <laughs> Shortly... Wait a second. You're part of the movie trivia crew? Love it. Whose team are you on? Uh, David Ehrlich, uh, Jordan, uh, Dan Mecca. Eric Barrett, he's on the, like, snooty team. Oh, shit. I see. They're all I snooty see. teams. <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a horror movie trivia night, and I can't wait to dig into that. Well, Corey, we, we can't... Uh, I just wanted to thank you for coming on this episode, and um, I saw today that you posted audio from the New York Film Festival... Um, chat with your your boy paul thomas anderson and i believe it was him and uh who, who was the the critic that was emceeing uh, ken that jones. ken jones that's right that's right so um uh i guess we can point people uh to go to the playlist and and find that there is there anything else you want to point people towards coming out on the site soon for you uh no i haven't done shit for the site since sundance <laughs> follow me on twitter to see what i'm up to at uh, mod age that's right. That's right. Well, you do that, Corey. Again, thank you for your time as well. And um, you can find me doing all kinds of crap on the playlist as well. Uh, I will be a part of that aforementioned uh, horror feature, the 25 best that me and Drew are a part of. Look out for that soon. And uh, yeah, I have a column coming out, 11 films to see in November. Make sure to check that out. And um, we're going to leave it at that. So uh, thanks again, you guys. This was really fun and uh, hope to do it again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. All right. Thanks, Bye. dudes. Bye. Bye. Bye.